What is good, everybody? Yo, welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast, where we help real people with real problems know the real God. Hey, if you enjoy this message, share this with your friends because the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves. And there is a link down below if you would like to give. Your gifts really do help this podcast reach more people all around the world. I hope you enjoy this message. The momentous day is upon us, my dear friends. We have finally made it to the end of Romans. Our study through Paul's letter to the Roman churches is coming to an end. And I think that this ending is going to to illuminate some things to us that maybe some of y'all have noticed. Or if you're like me, you kind of read over it, really didn't think about it, and didn't notice some some weird things that might have gone against kind of the common teaching and tradition about how these letters came to be. And I think this ending will lead us to an important question. And that is, not only who wrote Romans, but how did all of the New Testament letters come to be? How did they get written? Now, obviously, when it comes to Romans, the answer is Paul, right? I mean, I've been saying this entire time that it's Paul saying all these things and that Paul has this theology and he's trying to get this message across to the Roman churches. And in this case, that is surely what's happening. However, the message can be coming from Paul without Paul being the one to actually write the letter. And this is not just the case for the letter to the Roman people, but this is even more so the case in a lot of the other letters that Paul wrote, in a lot of the New Testament letters and writings that we have in our Bible today. And for some of you, this may not really be of interest, but I found it to be historically interesting to learn how ancient people went about writing their letters and getting these letters to the audiences, and how often uh, these letters were a collaborative effort with many different hands at work, we, we may be surprised to learn that for some of Paul's letters that we attribute to Paul himself, he was just co-authors with other people. And it's kind of unfortunate because tradition, we, we'd say that Paul is the one who is using all of this theology in some of these letters when really it's Paul and other people that Paul even mentions. And so let's go ahead and hop into this little rabbit hole here. This episode is going to be short. We are gearing up to get into our Genesis study, but we're going to be reading the last few verses here of Romans 16. We're going to start in verse 21 and go all the way through verse 27. Paul says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Salsipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. 
Let's just hop into it. Let's break this down. Once again, verse 21 and 22, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Salsipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So if you were like me, the many times I've read through this, I just kind of passed over verse 22 and didn't even recognize that it says, I, Tertius, wrote this letter. Huh. You know, it came to a, a very big shock to me some years ago to learn that Paul did not physically write his letters. And in particular, this letter to the Roman church, he did not write. Because Tertius, who's writing it, tells us, hey, I did it. It was me. And this actually isn't that uncommon for ancient times. Maybe for us it seems odd or weird or like Paul was hiding something, but for ancient writers, this was very common. Uh, ancient authors used scribes to write what they are saying. Professional writers is what they would use who were skilled and proficient in writing. And we have to remember that many people living in this time were illiterate. They were unable to either read or write and and this isn't necessarily the case with Paul. I'm not saying that Paul was illiterate, but it set the need for people to be hired to properly write down others' thoughts and ideas and things that they wanted to say. Tavis Bolinger from academic.logos.com has a blog about this. It's really interesting. And he says this, quote, Writing in the ancient world was a very laborious process. So it was generally performed by highly trained slaves, servants, and hired hands. The production of a manuscript, even as short as a personal letter, was not only a laborious process, but also a highly technical one. The duties of a scribe required specialized training, the skill to follow dictation quickly and accurately, probably in a form of shorthand, by incising a wax tablet with a metal stylus, or by writing on a sheet of papyrus with a reed pen and carbon-based ink. And then the skill and patience to transform the shorthand version into two clear, even elegant transcriptions with reed and ink on a papyrus sheet or roll, one for the author of the letter and the other for the recipient, end quote. So what he's saying here is that in the ancient world, writing was not that easy. It wasn't as easy as we have today where we can just type up a, a hundred page document or a thousand word essay or letter uh, within 10, 15, 20 minutes. It, it wasn't as easy as just going on Facebook and writing out a few characters and paragraphs to get your message across. In order to write letters, you had to have really good handwriting. You had to have the skill of writing stuff that took a very, very long time. And you also had to have the skill, as he pointed out, of listening to maybe a long form speech or dictation and be able to write that down in shorthand to be able to then go back later and fill out what they were writing. And another thing that they did is sometimes they would actually write down word for word what the person was saying. And in other times, the, the author of a particular letter would just give them kind of bullet points or topics that they wanted to hit. And if they trusted the scribe enough, they would allow the scribe to fill out the details for kind of bullet point topics that the author would give. And the writer would then still give credit to the author. It's completely different than how we would go about it today. And with, with a system like this, we really, this isn't the only time that we see this system at work 
in the Bible or in ancient times. If we look at if we look at scripture, the Bible was open about the people that were behind the actual writing of scripture, even though it was credited to someone else. Look at Jeremiah, for instance. Jeremiah is a book about the prophet Jeremiah and the things that he said through through God. But look at Jeremiah 36. It's very open about it. Verses 4. He says, Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go, and on a day of fasting in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their city. So right here, I mean, it's just very open. We're told that Baruch, someone who is not Jeremiah, is actually writing the book, the scroll of Jeremiah and giving credit to Jeremiah. But another thing that's cool is that he's also told to read this scroll out loud within the temple and to all the people who will listen. And it's a similar communal reading that someone like Phoebe might have done with Paul's letter to the Roman churches. Here's another example from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. Uh, He ends his letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, with a greeting, similar to what he does in almost the whole chapter 16 of Romans. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, it's it's a very small verse within a vast letter to the Corinthian people. And it's very easy to kind of skip over the fact that Paul is letting us know very clearly that he did not physically write this whole letter. He tells us in this little portion that he is writing it because this is his greeting, that he's writing with his own hand. And if you were looking at the original letter in the original, in the original language, in the Greek, you would have seen a difference in handwriting. That would have been very clear. It, it would have been this entire letter written in this nice, good, consistent handwriting. And at the very end in this verse, it would have just been something completely different. And it's Paul jumping in saying, hey, I'm writing this <laughs> with my own hand. Here's a few more examples. His letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. His letter to Philemon in verses 17 through 19. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Galatians 6, verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So you can see the pattern of Paul having someone else, a scribe, physically write the letter, and he will attach his own handwriting uh, in a a form of a greeting near the end of it. And in Galatians, he even points out that his handwriting was large. So it really would have stuck out that Paul was writing at the end of the letter when he did not write the entire letter itself. So not only did many ancient authors, including Paul, have scribes that would write down what they're saying, but they would also work with 
co-collaborators to help author these letters. And this is something that we skip over a lot. There's multiple mentions, as I'm about to point out, in Paul's letters where he's saying, hey, uh, hey, it's me, Paul, and this guy and this other guy and this other guy, and we are sending you this letter. So I'm taking this excerpt um, from a book that we've quoted here before, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And it's a fairly long quote, but it's super, super insightful. And I figured I'd rather just read what they professionally put out instead of trying to put it into my own words that might not make as much sense. So they say this, quote, Our individualist tendencies can also give us the wrong idea about how some of the biblical books were composed. We envision Paul writing his letters like we used to write them before email. We plop down at a desk in a quiet place with pen and paper. We composed privately as we wrote. We then signed our name and mailed it off. Our signature indicated that the words and thoughts in the letter were our very own. Ancient letter writing was different in just about every way. Ancients had no writing desk. Authors commonly stood and dictated while a scribe sat with a sheet of parchment balanced on his knee or in his lap. Paul would not have locked himself away in some private room to write. Six of Paul's letters indicate they were written with a co-author, yet we traditionally ignore the other authors. And real quick, some of these I'll go ahead and pull up and we'll just read them to prove it to you. But they point out these examples. 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Galatians 1.1. 1, 1, Philippians 1 1, Colossians 1 1, 1 Thessalonians 1 1, 2 Thessalonians 1 1. So in antiquity, they say, teamwork and cooperation were the norms. It is very natural then that just as a partnership was assumed in ministry, so also it was assumed in composing a letter. When it was time to write back to the church in Corinth, Paul most likely gathered his beloved team members around him to discuss the needs in the Corinthian church and what they should say to them. After discussing the sticky issues at length, it was time to start the letter with a secretary, probably hired from the market, and stacks of wax tablets. The resulting letter would have been a collaborative effort. Even if we noticed the co-author in the letter's greetings at all, Sosthenes in 1 Corinthians and Timothy and 2 Corinthians, for example, we are likely to assume that they were passive participants. Surely Paul is a creative and theological genius behind the letters, we think the single, solitary, individual source of the letter's content. Doubtful, they say. It is more likely that the letters were composed with the co-authors, actively contributing. Paul's missionary endeavors were a team effort. This is more than just a bit of trivia. Scholars have debated for centuries whether all the letters attributed to Paul in the New Testament were actually written by him. Many will argue that Paul couldn't have written certain letters because they don't have Pauline characteristics, that is. They don't sound like Paul. But if Paul regularly worked with co-authors and secretaries, if they actively contributed content in terms of phrase, then this might explain why Paul's letters have variations in style. They bear the marks of his partners, and the Spirit's inspiration covered the entire process. End quote. Okay, so that was quite a lot to take in there. Um, one of the main things is that they just simply point out how a lot of the letters that we solely attribute to Paul clearly at the beginning of them point out that there are other people who are contributing to the content of this letter. And a few that they pointed out was 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. So real quick, I just want to look through those. Um, they all start in the first verse. So if you just want to 
go through these with me. Right here, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Okay, so here, I mean, it's just straight up. The letter's telling us that the people who are sending out this letter and contributing to its content is Paul and Sosthenes. Okay, 2 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Once again, we always attribute 2 Corinthians to be Paul's letter, but it clearly states that Timothy is a co-contributor as well. What about Galatians? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. That's Galatians 1.1. Paul's saying, hey, it's me, and also all the brothers who are with me. So, I mean, Paul and, and these writers are very upfront about who is writing and sending out these letters, and it's just unfortunate, as um, the quote that we just read pointed out, that we always think of them as being passive contributors. And that's not really the case. I wonder if we should start when we talk about these letters and we say, you know, the letter that Paul sent to so-and-so. I wonder if we should start adding in the other co-authors because they're clearly giving credit within the text. It's just for some reason in tradition, we don't really give them that credit. But anyway, uh, we know now that most of the New Testament was probably not physically written by the authors of those letters. And in a lot of cases, as we just learned, they were done collaboratively with other Christ-following believers. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, this is some pretty cool history. And it shines a light on the differences between our culture and theirs in the lengths that they went to to produce these letters to get the gospel out. And if you want to know more information about the ancient writing process as far as it pertains to the Bible, uh, there's a great YouTube video by Inspiring Philosophy called Who Wrote the Bible? Cultural Context of the Biblical World. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, if you just want to learn more about this, I highly recommend that you go watch the video. Um, there's a lot of great things to learn. But like I said, this is going to be a short one. So let's go ahead and finish up the rest of this, break it down just a tiny bit, and let's get geared up for Genesis next week. Verse 25 through 27. Now to, oh, sorry, verse 23 through 27. Gaius, who is the host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. What a beautiful ending to a very important letter to the Roman church. Paul spent this entire 16th chapter greeting his fellow believers, pointing out their great deeds for the gospel, and he ends with the most important one of all, that he is thanking and greeting, and that is God. The only one who is able to give us strength by his good news, and this good news was kept hidden. It was kept a mystery. And Paul explains why it was kept a mystery to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. He says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, 
None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And this is obviously speaking about Jesus, that the ultimate plan for Jesus was not to become a physical king that would physically rule on earth and crush the enemies under his feet, but to be a living sacrifice, to die for the sins of humanity so that a even better kingdom could be established on both heaven and earth. And as Paul says, if all the enemies in the dark powers knew this, they wouldn't have killed Jesus, but they thought that they were foiling God's ultimate plan by killing Jesus and not allowing there to be a physical kingdom on earth. And it completely backfired. But now that this plan is known, obedience of faith is expected. And that obedience goes not to the snake-like deceivers that Paul mentioned a little bit earlier in this chapter, but that obedience goes to the only wise God, Jesus Christ. I told you this was a short one, and with that, we end our study of Romans. We have done it, and we're going to be hopping into Genesis next week. Look, if y'all are ready to be challenged, if you're ready for the traditional understanding of (laughs) Genesis 1 through 3 to be challenged, uh, then I hope you're ready for next week. There's going to be a lot of deep thinking a lot of challenging, a lot of deep understanding of the text. And I've gone through it, just like I'm going to force y'all to go through it, but I think it's really important for our understanding, not just of creation and all the historical questions that we have about that, but just for the understanding of the the storyline of the Bible. Genesis is crucial for the entire unfolding of the biblical narrative and the culmination that Jesus ultimately does on the cross. And if we don't understand it in its proper context, then we're not going to really understand it at all. So I'm really excited to get into that. I will see y'all next week. Peace out.